Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. This morning, our scripture reading is taken from Matthew 15, um, from verses 21 to 28. When I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and we'll respond by saying, thanks be to God. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Taiwo. Good morning, everyone. Happy to see us all. It's a, it's a new, uh, a new um, we said the end of the last era. But if there's the end of an era, there's always the beginning of a new one. For those who are coming for the first time, what I mean by that is we just finished um, a sermon series and we are beginning a new one today and so a special welcome to you if you are worshiping with us for the first time or if you've not been with us for a long time we're happy to have you back my name is Femi um but I do want to uh, maybe start this way for those who are worshiping with us for the first time if you can indulge me I need to speak to those who have been worshiping with us for a long time all right I do want to say something if you've been coming to this church for a bit or for a little bit of time. I have a problem with you. I have a huge problem with you. I think most of you, I'm I'm sick and tired of how I'm being treated in this church. I don't know. You see, the laughter is even part of the problem. I think you guys, there's a way I'm treated that you guys just don't know that I'm a very important person. No, I, I have to tell you straight up. Now, how do you know when somebody is a very important person? I mean VIP. Not, I know we now we have VIP, we have VVIP, all of those. I am a VVIP. But, but you are laughing, you are laughing because you don't believe so. How do you know if someone is a very important person? I'll tell you how we know. By who they know. Do you understand? Who do you know? Uh, but you are not treating me the way. I am a very important person by who you know. Now, you are all laughing, but if I tell you the people I know, if I tell people that, I, I mean, I don't talk. 
You know, I just, I just show. I show it. So I have evidence. I, said, I decided to bring evidence today. Roll the first, uh, the first one. That is me. Who knows who is in the background there? You don't, that's the problem. You don't, you don't know who that is? Who knows? Who has ever heard? This is one of the greatest rappers of all time. That is a guy called Andre 3000. Who knows? Outcast. Yeah. yeah. Before, before. Before, before. I knew you would say before, before. Give me the next one. Before, before. Oh, the same Patrick. Who took the picture here? Look at it. Eh? You understand? I was passing by and the guy just, ah! I was like, okay, okay, who are you? You're like, boy, you know, I was there. But I know what some of you are thinking. Because entertainment is entertainment. Rapper in America, uh, uh, reggae, Afro reggae, I don't know what you call it, right? In Nigeria, you think entertainment. Does he know anybody in sports? Does he know anybody in politics? Give me the next picture. You see them. They say, who is this? Some of them. That just happens to be the greatest African footballer of all time. And the current president of Liberia. You notice I'm a sharing guy. I brought my wife inside as well. So my point is this. Know me no longer after the flesh. I'm a very, very important person. Amen? Now, the truth is I don't really know them. I don't know them. I can't lie. I don't know. True story. After we took the picture with George Ware, my wife and I, after we took the picture with George Ware, as we left, we were going up an escalator. She said, baby, who is that? <laughs> you see, the truth is I'm not that important because I don't know them. It is not by taking pictures with people that you can say you truly know them. Let me tell you one sure way that you can really know a person. That we are sure you know a person. You know what it is? Conversation. Have you had a meaningful conversation with the person over an extended period of time where the person reveals themselves to you and you also reveal yourself to them? Then you can say you know that person. But the problem is that conversation is a dying art. It's something we are losing our ability to actually be able to do. In fact, let me show you two pictures. That I, want you to, I want to ask the question with these two pictures. In which one, picture one or picture two, do you think the people there will actually truly know themselves. Picture one and picture two. Picture one on top, picture two. In which one do you think these people will stand a greater chance of knowing themselves? Picture one. Some of you are examining your marriage right now. Why? Because they, are, they seem focused on each other. They seem not distracted by the things around, well, by the phone that is inside with them. And so they get to be able to gaze into each other's eyes and they get to be able to have meaningful conversation with themselves. You see, in picture two, they would know about each other, but in picture one, they would know each other. How many of us know about Jesus but don't know Jesus? You know, in one of the most remarkable passages in Scripture, Jesus speaking about himself in Matthew chapter 11, Verse 29, Jesus says something remarkable. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know what Jesus is saying? This is the only place in the entire scripture that Jesus says, here is how I am at heart. 
In all other places of scripture, we are told about things about Jesus. But here, Jesus is saying, do you want to really know who I am? You should know who I am at the heart level. If you want to know who someone is, the Bible says that, that this heart is the center of the human being. And Jesus is saying, at heart, I am humble. I am gentle. Do you know him? But you say, how then can I know his heart? Well, Jesus, in another passage, also in Matthew, says this. Out of the abundance, or for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The King James says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, our mouths are connected to our heart. What comes out of our mouths are really what is in our heart. If you truly want to know Jesus, then you have to see how Jesus speaks. And that's why in this series, what we are doing is we want to get into conversations that Jesus was having. Because through those conversations, we can know the heart of Jesus. And if we know the heart of Jesus, we can know Jesus. And if we know Jesus, we can have a better relationship with him. Are you following we don't just want to know about Jesus. We want to know Jesus. And so my prayer after this series, honestly, is that. Is that for those of us who already know Jesus, in some way we already know about Jesus, that you will actually press on to knowing Jesus. And I pray that for those of us who have never known him, this will be the opportunity for you to know the greatest person that has ever lived on this earth. And that as we know Jesus more and more, that our lives will never be the same. Amen. Father, we just ask for your light, not just in this message, but we ask for this entire series. Thank you for what you have done for us in the previous one, but we are here, O oh God, to receive fresh bread from you. Father, we pray, O oh God, that you give us this bread evermore in the name of Jesus. For Jesus, he said, he said that I am the bread of life. Father, we want, oh God, in today's message and also in all the series that we're going, in, in the entire sermons of the series, that we will come and eat, feast on the bread of life. And that when we do so, our lives will never be the same again. And so we ask for your presence right now, Holy Spirit. Be with us as we go through these scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we want to start to know Jesus. And today we are going to go into a rather... <laughs> funny conversation that Jesus had. And that's why we titled this message, Jesus Can Be Strange. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus can be strange. It really can be. As I was reading it, I was like, now, wow, this thing is really strange. And so we're going to look at this message, Jesus Can Be Strange, under three headings, the silent Jesus, the composed Jesus, and the amazed Jesus. The silent Jesus, the composed Jesus, and the amazed Jesus. The silent Jesus. Now, you may have noticed in those pictures I sent, two out of the three, I was actually in an airport, right? So occasionally one has uh, have to travel a little bit. But let me tell you, when I, especially a particular period of time, when I was about to travel, I always used to pray one prayer. I always used to pray one prayer before I go. I'd say, God, please do not allow me sit down near a crying baby. <laughs> How many of us have prayed such a prayer? Or at least you've thought the thought. Amen? They are there. And let me tell you the truth. The reason for that prayer is not so much for the child. It's not about the child. Do you know that? It's not about the child. It's about the parent. There's a specific kind of parent. We call them, I call them, I don't care parents. You may not have met them on the plane. You certainly met them in church. Do you know why I don't care parents are? I don't care parents are the ones where the child starts crying. And as the child starts crying, you know this in church, we just look. 
You look, not at the child, you look at the parent like, do something, and I don't care, just do something. Like, I don't, I gave back to the child. I have no problem with it. If you like, don't go and do something about it. There's nothing I'm going to, you know, when the child will be crying, the, the picture will be, you know, like this. And the woman will just be looking like that. I say, God deliver me from my doke parent on this flight. With them, you think that by pushing your frustration on them, that somehow they will react. But they don't react at all. Let me tell you, the pain you felt in that moment, the disciples can empathize with you. <laughs> because this woman came to Jesus, and he says that after she cried, deliver me, help, have mercy on me, heal my child, the, Jesus went silent. And then the disciples now came to Jesus. Jesus, please send her away with the thing that she wants, because, look at the verse, because what? She keeps crying after us. She is driving us, what? Insane. Jesus did not react. Jesus said, I am sent to the Lordship of Israel. What does that mean? Do something about this. Jesus was silent at first, and then Jesus was inactive. Now, some of us read that and say, he said, I am sent to the Lordship of Israel. Israel, and he said, you see, this is a problem. This is why I don't go to church. This is why I'm not a Christian. Or this is why I find this thing a little bit weird. Because it does seem like Jesus is saying, I am not going to give her what she wants. Why? Because I only do that to certain kinds of people. The Lordship of Israel. But I'm not sent to this person. And then you ask yourself, maybe, maybe that is the problem. Maybe Jesus is not for people like me. Jesus is for people like them. You know those Christian kind of people? Maybe Jesus isn't for people like me. Therefore, I can't really know him. I can't have a conversation with him because if I try to do that, Jesus, as he says, he says he withdrew. Jesus withdrew and he did not react. Some of us are thinking, maybe this Jesus is, he looks like he has mood swings. Maybe Jesus is not emotionally stable. On the one hand, he's just silent. On the other hand, he looks at people based on their ethnicity and he impulsively reacts. Jesus has mood swings. And I don't want to meet Jesus in a bad mood. Now before I get to really why Jesus reacts that way, I want to tell you why it is not true. In fact, it is the opposite. There is this thing in this passage about the universality of Jesus in his approach to everyone. Notice what he says in the passage. He says, leaving that place. Stop. Leaving that place. In other words, not where Jesus is now. He left a particular place. Where was the place that Jesus left? The place that Jesus left, you will find in, verse, um, in, in, in the previous chapter, chapter 14, verse 34 to 35. He says that at that time, Jesus got to a place called Gennesaret. And in Gennesaret, what did he say? He says that he was very popular. The men of that place recognized Jesus. So after Jesus did a bit of healing in that place because they brought people that were sick, the next thing was that he had a conversation with some people. They were called Pharisees in chapter, now in chapter 15, the verse 1. He said the Pharisees now came. And let me just tell you, if you have been reading your Bible, especially the Gospels, whenever you hear the Pharisees, it doesn't always turn out well. 
The Pharisees came with theological and ethical questions to Jesus. Ah, ah, you, your, your disciples don't wash their hands like our own disciples before they eat. They don't follow the tradition and the custom of the elders. And Jesus had conversation with him. But after the thing ended, he gave them certain reasons why they did that and all of that. But they were satisfied. In fact, the disciples said this about him. He said, ah, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Now, notice, it was from that place that Jesus now left and came. Where did he say he came to? He came to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus left a place where he was well recognized and, came and left a people that were, he was familiar with. He was recognized there. And the Jews, the Pharisees were Jews like him. He was familiar and looked like the people. And he now came to a region where he was not totally recognized. This is what we call Gentile region in Tyre and Sidon. And the people do not really look like him. In fact, the kind of people that came are the kinds of people that he really shouldn't hang out with as a Jew. Because if you've read the Old Testament, and for those of us who are just here in the Elijah series, if you hear... Sidon. It should remind you of something. Tyre and Sidon. And don't forget what it says that a Canaanite woman came to meet him from Sidon. Ah. <laughs> now, Mark, in Mark chapter 7, gives the same story. But Mark does not put that she's a Canaanite woman. Why? Because Mark is largely speaking to a non-Jewish audience. Matthew is writing to a mainly Jewish audience, if Mark put a Canaanite woman, it won't mean anything. But imagine that you are writing to Egba people, and they now, you now say an Ijebu person came. That Ijebu-ness, they're like, hey, this person, this Egba, this Egba girl brought her Ijebu boyfriend. Ah, that's a problem. Amen? I actually think the bigger problem is if the Jebu guy brought the Egba girl, but if the Egba girl brought the, why are the Egba people offended? You know, they shouldn't be. You brought, they are stepping up, exactly. But we are not living, hey, 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 hey. I don't want any kind of opposition here. Are you a Pharisee? Uh -huh. He says a Canaanite woman, a Canaanite woman from Sidon. If you've been following the Elijah series, who else comes from Sidon? 1 Kings, 13, uh, 1 Kings 16, 31. He also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethel, king of what? The Sidonians. That is where Sidon is. Ah, woman. Sidon. Canaanite. And the Canaanites were the historical enemy of the Jews. So when they just hear another Canaanite woman came to meet him, Jesus knew as he withdrew from a place where he was popular, as he withdrew from a place where people looked like him, he was going to an unfamiliar place where people that were not like him, and in fact people that would be historically their enemies, will come to meet him. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Jesus is not silent and is not being inactive because these people are not like him. If you think you cannot approach Jesus because A, I don't look like what Christians look like. B, uh, I really do see, no, I do all of these things. Or C, that I was once a Christian, I grew up as a Christian, but now everybody knows me in the entertainment industry that I am no longer a Christian. I cannot go to church. I cannot come to Jesus. You are mistaken. For the people that thought that they had a right and deserved Jesus were the ones who opposed him. The Pharisees were offended. Though. 
And so don't mistake this view that you have to look a certain way. You have to have had a certain history. You have to be in a, a particular way before you can have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is precisely saying, if you are not and don't look the part, I came for you. Amen. Amen. He withdrew to Tyre and Sidon. And this Canaanite woman came to meet him. Far from the fact that it looks like Jesus is bigoted, actually the context of this and the background shows that Jesus is universal. Jesus wants to speak with whoever and whatever is before him. But that leads me now, setting the background to, to my second point, the composed Jesus. Because we must still deal with Jesus' response. When last, hands up, the last time somebody um, referred to you as a dog and you said thank you. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, it depends on the kind of dog. So maybe they didn't call you, uh, maybe they called you a chihuahua or a poodle. You know, would you be happy about that? A Dalmatian, at least that's a nice kind of dog. It does seem like Jesus doesn't just say, I was sent to the lordship of the house of Israel. That's one thing. That time I was discussing with these Pharisees. Eventually, the woman came, and the first thing he said is, that, Auntie, I don't give these things to dogs, though. I can't give you the children's bread to a dog like you. It does seem that Jesus has this sense of ethnic, feel, ethnic superiority, doesn't it? It seems like Jesus is quite aware of the, his sociological superiority to the people of Tyre and Sidon, doesn't it? Seems rather strange. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus can be strange. But let me tell you straight up, it's not that Jesus is just, he's silenced first, and then his response. Because remember, the disciples come to meet him, and he gives a reason for why he is not, he is not healing her. And then he then tells her this thing. Rather than look at somebody who is impulsive, actually, you look at someone who is absolutely composed. Why is that, do I say it's composed? This issue is not an issue of his sociological superiority. This issue comes, his response comes from a place of deep reflection, theological reflection about himself. I'm saying here that the issue here is not sociology. The issue here is theology. And he said, what is the theology behind this? I'm glad you asked. You know, one of my favorite things about Nigerians, particularly Igbo people in Lagos, but even when you go to the East, is the sense of ambition. Ambition. A guy starts a spare part shop, spare part shop or a tire shop, right? Come and buy, come and buy. His name is Ikechuku. He is already thinking about legacy. So when he names it, he says, Ike Chuku and what? Sons. Do you understand? Legacy. <laughs> but the legacy doesn't end there. He's thinking ambition. So these tires and this pepper, he started to bring it from China. He has some Chinese partners. So Ike Chuku and Sons, that tells you about legacy. But the ambition of where he's going, because he's already started having international partners. So what does he do? Ike Chuku and Sons, what? international. Give a round of applause for them. And so we love that. We want to, he wants to go global, not just be local. But it's not just in business. We have that particularly in ministry. 
Satan gathers a couple of people. He said, God gave him a vision. Da, 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 da. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. So these people start. They start their five. They're praising the Lord. They're 10, 20, 25. And then around when they're getting to 30, one person through, it normally will be called Wuru Wuru, but because he prayed for the person, he says it's anointed. That person gets a visa. And the person is now going to the abroad. And the moment the person lands there, calls him pastor, thank you, I have landed. And he starts to pray for the person. And he starts to pray for the person. Now, so fellowship don't start to. And so the ministry, which was God's servants are taking over, is now God's servants are taking over what? International. Because we want to go global before we even go local. But you see, what's really going on here is that Jesus' deep reflection about himself is that his ministry was meant to be local before he went global. His ministry was meant to be local before he went what? Global. He says, I am sent to the lordship of the house of Israel. What is going on? And then he now says, children, and then he says, dogs. What is going on here? Understand this. A little bit of redemptive history. Because you see, what Jesus, and maybe this quote will help you, what Jesus is saying when he uses this household, whatever, dogs and whatever, what he's saying is he was using a household metaphor to distinguish a nation, that is Israel, from other nations, Gentiles, in regard to their proximity to God's activity in redemption history. In regard to their proximity of God's activity in redemption history. So now let me explain, all right? In Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11, sin has multiplied throughout the whole world and it has now infested nations. All nations are now in rebellion against God and because of that, all nations are under a curse. Amen. So God then chooses a man called Abraham and he makes a promise to Abraham, through you, Abraham, I will now bless the nations. Through you, I will now save the nations. In other words, God gave Abraham a global promise, a promise of global salvation. Are we still following? But you see, the promising God is also the strategic God. The promising God is also the planning God. So God says, Abraham, my promise to you is about global nations. But the way I am now going to effect this promise and bring it to pass is developing a strategy that is going to be local. And so he says, you will bless all nations, but a nation will come out of you. Genesis 12 and Genesis 17. You will bless all nations, but how many nations will come out of you? A nation. Are we together? And so that nation, which is called Israel, God starts to work redemptively. He starts to do what we call his redemptive acts throughout history. He then calls them out, delivers them from Egypt. He gives them his law. He makes a covenant with them. He brings temple sacrifices. He does all of those things. It is in that context, if you look at all the nations as, as, you, as you like, children without any father, Israel is God's adopted child. Are we following? And you think I'm making this all up. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 9 verse 4. Romans chapter 9 verse 4. The people, Israel, theirs is what? They are, say it. Theirs is what? To sonship. There's the divine glory. The covenant. The receiving of the law. The temple worship. And the 
promises. And there's one more because with all of these activities, he told Abraham, you have an offspring. And it is through that offspring that the global salvation will happen. And so finally, move verse 5. Theirs are the patriarchs and them is, from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all forever be praised. Amen. Are we seeing it? God decides to concentrate his redemptive activity in that nation before he can go global. In other words, Jesus had to reach the lost sheep of Israel so that he could reach the lost uh, 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 people of the world. And so when he starts, that's why he even tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, right, he sends them out. And listen to what he says, Matthew 10 verse 5 to 6. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Gentiles, non-Jews. Samaritans, mixed Jews and, you know, um, like when two ethnicities mix together, right? Jews and, and Gentiles. Go rather to where? The lost sheep of Israel. So Jesus, even when he started his ministry, the ministry was meant to be local before it went global. Go to Israel. Don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. But after the redemptive work activity had reached a certain point, after he had died, he had risen again, he now told the disciples, now go and disciple all and in fact, he told them, but before you do that, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will then be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in Judea. And then Jesus wanted to go, had to be local before he went global. So what he was telling the woman at that point was something that was already there in redemptive history. He was saying, woman, my time for going global has not yet come. I cannot give what the bread that is meant for the Lordship of Israel right now to dogs. He wasn't saying you are a dog. He was talking about the household metaphor. That is, in this household, you have children and you have dogs. They're all part of the household. But the children are going to eat their food. Are we together? And so, it doesn't seem that strange after all. Now, the question is this. When Jesus has given that kind of, you learn that kind of theology, you understand. How are we meant to react? Because Jesus is essentially not giving her what she wants. How do we react? Well, let's think about how we react many times when we don't get what we want. We resort to something called nagging. Who knows what that word? Nagging. Nag. I was talking to somebody recently. I was asking him about somebody that he works with. And I said, how, how is this person? How is working with this person? I kid you not, this is how he reacted. He, almost immediately, he said, Pastor, she nags. He took it from all the way back. The pain was, it was almost as though he was listening to Ricky Martin and a rendition of Ricky Martin's song. Where she nags, she nags. I know I've changed it. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Don't worry, you're too young. Anyway, what did I say? No, you're not too young. You're not too, you're not, um, you're not. Okay, just leave. Let's go, let's go on. She nags. What is nagging? Nagging essentially is this. I come to meet you for something that I want. 
Then you, with patience, explain to me why I can't have that thing. So when you've heard that, you know what you do? You ask me again, like you asked me the first time. I say, oh, wait, wait. Okay, put off the music. Let me explain. Let me explain this whole thing. And then after I do that, you ask again. And then you ask again. Please now. Please now. Please now. Go, please. Are you not going to help me? Are you not going to help me? You come. You send. You just keep nagging. That nagging is a diabolical manipulative move. It is. It is an exercise of the worst form of power control you can see. Do you know why? Because nagging essentially says this. I am unable to persuade this person. I am unable to persuade this person. But I will force this person into submission through the power of the annoyance of repetition. It is force. Like literally some people have... You, have any of us have caved in into something because it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. Just take and just go. Constant, constant, constant. That's what Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15. It's not yet time. I'm not going anywhere. I'm on my second point. Proverbs 27, verse 15. Proverbs 27, verse 15. I love the NLT version. It says, A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as. I'm not bitter. I'm not talking about you. I'm just, it's not. It's the Bible. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying. You put me inside trouble. What's wrong with you people? You not make the thing seem more than what it is. Oh God. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as constant dripping of the rainy day. It's like a leaky roof. The thing just doesn't stop, stop, stop. Personally, for me, eh, if somebody comes to meet me for something, and I'm not, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to give them, but I may be a bit now moving. You know, you know, I'm now slightly positively disposed. If you start nagging, I all of a sudden become resistant. Can I tell you something? You cannot nag your way into God's heart. You cannot. Jesus, the disciples, please send that way, send that way. Please, 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 please. I'm sent to the Lordship of the house of Israel. You cannot nag your way into the Lord's heart. Listen, Jesus is not in the business of giving into the demands uh, of our irritable frustration. He just isn't. He builds up a particular wall. Immediately that happens. But this was not what this woman did. This woman instead reacted with humble submission. Because let me tell you something, nagging lacks submission because submission requires you to be humble, to be able to listen. This woman first knelt down. After she had said, this is my problem, or this is my problem. After a while, she just came knelt down. She didn't even describe the problem. She said, Lord Jesus, help. Help me. That's all. She wasn't resisting what he was saying. She just went down. Now, you know some people, they give you a humble disposition, but truly inside their heart, they mean something else. This woman in the conversation eventually did something absolutely profound. When Jesus said, it is not right for me to give the bread of the children to dogs. You know what she said? It is. She agreed. It is. You are right. It is not right. It is. She agreed. So many times we are fighting the words of Jesus from the scripture. Sometimes it comes to us and because of the things that we are doing, are we really sure? How do we even know? How do I? We are showing that we are not humble like this woman. The fact that she knelt is a reflection of what was really in her heart because she agreed with Jesus. I pray that the Lord will give us this same kind of humble submission. She heard a wiser 
view. She saw it and she was like, yes, this person really is saying the right thing. And she humbly submitted. If you are ever going to be able to know more about Jesus, if you are ever going to be able to have a revolutionary relationship with Jesus, can you listen to what he says? But sometimes we don't even listen to what he says because we don't understand what he says and we don't have the patience to understand what he says. And right now, I'm just talking about theology. I am. We want to be too practical. We want to say we don't have time. We don't want to understand what the Bible is saying and there are many resources out there. So you submit first and then you listen and then you try to understand and then you submit again. Because there are people, in this context, there are different kinds of people that come to Jesus. Listen, the Pharisees came with unbelieving opposition. The disciples came with irritable frustration. But this woman came with humble submission. Who do you think Jesus was going to react to positively? May the Lord make us like that woman. So you see, Jesus is composed because he has a theological reflection of himself. And so we must react with that same kind of humble position, uh, 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 humble Submission. But let me tell you, and this will take me to my third point. The fact that you are humble and you are submitted, the fact that you don't nag, doesn't mean you shouldn't ask again. For there is a difference between, there's a difference between nagging and persistence. Nagging lacks humility. Persistence emerges from humility. This woman was persistent. She was not nagging. And so by the time she submitted to Jesus, by the time she's listening to Jesus, it then sets this woman up for what you can call creative wisdom. And I can't wait to get to that third point. So let's just go to the third point. Because if you want to learn how it is to unlock the heart of God, if you want to learn how to get to the heart of Jesus, can you sit down and just take a lesson from this woman? This woman teaches us exactly what it means to get to the heart of Jesus. Now, what was her response? They amazed Jesus, the third point. What was her response? In verse 27, after she said, yes, it is, Lord. (laughs) She said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Even the dogs. She said, it is true. Don't give. Don't give the bread to the children. But even the dogs themselves, they have crumbs that come down. She said, Jesus, I understand your theology. I get it. In fact, you are the son of David. That's what she said. Lord Jesus, son of David. I understand you are the Messiah. You come from the Davidic line. I understand that you have to give this to Israel. I understand the theological constraints. But theological constraints, what, and notwithstanding, there is still something for me. And you say, how? But you see, Jesus, she I will just imagine, she said, I know that Israel must get their own first. I know the blessing is for Israel. But something has told me, somebody has told me that there was a harlot in, in, in Jericho. Her name was Rahab. And she got the blessing of the God of Israel. If, it, if the crowns were okay for Rahab, they're okay for me. She said that I know that there was a widow in Zarephath. And she got the blessings of the Lord of Israel. If it was enough for that woman, then the crumbs are enough for me. That I was told about a widow in Moab. Her name 
name was Ruth. She took the crumbs of the blessing of the Lord of Israel. If it was good for Ruth, it is good enough for me. I know what the constraints are. I know what you are saying, Lord Jesus. But here's what I also know. At the table of a gracious God, there is food for everyone, whether they are children or whether they are dogs. There is food for everyone, whether they come as a loaf of bread or they come as crumbs. Give me now my portion. That's what the woman was saying. He did not come from a place of opposition. She was deeply steeped in the theology there. But she knew not just about Jesus, she knew Jesus as well. And that he was a gracious God. The story is told about Alexander the Great. And I'm just paraphrasing here. Alexander, one of his, you know, his mighty, mighty emperor of the Greek Empire. And nobody just went to Alexander with any request. Most people didn't. They were just so scared of him. But there was this general who had a daughter that was about to get married. And he wanted to throw a massive party for her. But he didn't have all the resources. And so he dared to go and ask Alexander, my daughter is getting married. People thought it was great. How do you... You are not talking about trying to conquer another kingdom. You are going to talk to him about the trivial matter of your daughter getting married and that you want him to assist. And, Eli and Alexandra stopped, looked at him, looked at him. He told the treasury officer, open the treasury, give him more than he even asked for. And then the people around him came and said, ah, Alexandra, why would you do such a thing? This man broke protocol. This man came and requested for what nobody should ever ask for. This man broke all the rules. Why would you answer that? He said, Alexander said to them, that a general of mine can think that I am that generous, that he can have it in his mind to think that I am that generous. He deserves more than what he asked for. Those people knew the rules of Alexander, but that general knew the heart of Alexander. I hear what I'm saying. It's not just enough to know about Jesus. Jesus wants us to know what? Him. It's not just enough to know God. God wants us to know about Him. That's why in Jeremiah, let me, can I tell you a secret? Christian, can I tell you a secret nobody has told you before? Let me tell you a secret. God likes people that boast. God loves people. In fact, God is looking for people that boast. Except God is not looking for people that boast in themselves. Let not the rich one boast in his riches. Let not the strong boast in their strength. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom. But let him that boasts boast in this, that he what? Knows me. God is looking for a people that know him. Because when you know him, you are able to then say certain things that normally we all do. Even Christians cannot say, and that is what this woman did. Creative wisdom came from her. And then she said, even the dogs can feed on crumbs. How do you think that makes Jesus feel? Well, you can read verse 28. But if you read verse 28 in one way, you say, oh, Jesus healed. He gave her what she wanted. Careful. Because in Gennesaret, Jesus had already healed. Healing was not Jesus' problem. That was not just the issue. Yes, she got her healing. But there was something else there. And I can tell you what it was. Jesus became amazed. And you say, amazed, but it doesn't say that in the text. Well, there is a pattern in the book of Matthew. There was another person that came to Jesus, also a Gentile. He also came to ask for what? Healing. 
He also came to ask for healing, not for himself, but for someone else. And he also, when he got the request fulfilled, it was at that moment in Matthew chapter 8. But there was something about the way he responded to Jesus. He told Jesus, when, when Jesus said, okay, I'll come to your house to come and heal. Jesus, he said, don't worry, you don't have to come. I am a man under authority and I have people under me. You send the word and that person will be healed. When Jesus heard this, what does he say? Matthew 8 verse 10. He said, Jesus, verse 10, he said, when Jesus heard this, he was what? Amazed. And said to, the follow, to those to the following, truly, I, have, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with what? Such great faith. He did not say, I have not found anyone in Israel with great faith. Uh, with, with faith, he said with what? Great faith. Go back to now Matthew chapter 15 in verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have what? Great faith. Woman, you have what? Great faith. Listen, do you know that it's possible to please somebody and not be amazed by them? It is possible to be pleased with somebody and not be amazed by them. Tell you one more story. This one happened this week. Our children, uh, this week was their PTC. What they call parents, teachers, conference, open day, open day. So we went, my wife and I, and for one of our children, he was taking us through his work. You know, the work was, and he was doing well. The boy was doing well. So does mathematics. He was doing well. His handwriting could be better, but everything was doing well. Yeah, good boy. Not wasting my money because <laughs> that money was hard. But at some point, the child said, But I want to tell you one story. She said, Recently, something happened. He helped us solve a dilemma. That I asked the students, they were meant to have done some work in some textbook, and asked the students to submit. But there were two students that said, No, but they, they never heard about it. And she's like, If I heard from one person, that would be something. But the second one too said the same thing. I never heard about this. I didn't even know. I said, but these are lady students. I was like, but it's not possible. I gave this to everyone weeks ago. How come this thing you didn't submit? And she's now wondering, trying to figure it out. She's feeling bad. She's whatever. She and the assistant, they were still wondering, how did this thing come? How did this thing come? And then all of a sudden, she just heard one voice. She just said, and this was going on for me. She just heard somebody just say, I know what happened. And behold, was my son. He said, I know what happened. Now, he had known the date that he just looked at the date of when they collected the book. And then he said, do you remember on that day was the school elections? And during the school elections at that time, we had just we had voted, but there were some returning officers that had to stay. And those returning officers had to count and be sure that things were going on well. And by the time we had then come back, that was when you now gave us the textbook and all the instructions. And then we had closed and the returning officers had not come. And so because I remember that was the exact date, I remember those were the two exam of returning officers, you didn't give them the textbook thing after. That's what happened. And then he dropped the mic and just went back to his work. <laughs> and the woman and her assistant were literally like this. Let me tell you something. When they were showing me his work and the progress, I was pleased with him. But when they said that story, I was amazed by my son. At that point, I felt like saying, 
Come here, don't worry. What do you want? Anything you want, I'll give it to you. Do you understand? It is possible to be pleased with somebody and then be amazed. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. It is true, but without great faith, it is impossible to amaze the Lord. I pray that you will be able to amaze the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that the eyes of an amazed Jesus shall gaze upon you to show you favor in the name of Jesus. That is what this woman came. She had not just faith, but amazing faith. And so she had humble, in her humble submission, she was able to be persistent. But I want to end with this. It's only those that are amazed by Jesus that can amaze Jesus. It's only those that are amazed by Jesus that can amaze Jesus. You see, when this woman came, this is a very funny thing, you may have missed it. You know when she came to Jesus, the first thing she said, Jesus, son of David, have what? And then she describes her daughter. She's asking the same person for the same action, but it's going to be manifested in two different ways. She asks for healing for her daughter, but she asks for mercy for herself. The woman, the daughter needed healing, the woman needed mercy. The daughter needed restoration, the woman needed what? Salvation. And there's something about the Bible, about time healing and salvation together. Jeremiah also says this, he says, Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be what? Saved. The Psalm in Psalm 103 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who does what? He forgives all my iniquities and he what? Heals all my diseases. You know what he's trying to say? This healing and this salvation can come from the same God. If he's our healer, he is first our savior. And so she comes to this saving, this saving healer and says, Have mercy on me and heal my child. But I can tell you that the most amazing picture that you find in the whole Bible at least one of that is in Isaiah 53. For it brings this healing and this salvation together. And now it's saying this, and this is the Jesus that we serve. Listen. He feels the pain that the disease is causing on you and he takes it upon himself, literally. The thing that will condemn you to save you, he takes that condemnation upon himself, literally, so that he can save you. What kind of God is this? Isaiah 53 verse 6. Let's read it together. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our way. And the Lord has laid the iniquity of the, upon us all. And then later in verse 5, I'm sorry, in verse 5 it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, he appears. He's our healer because he's our savior. Are you amazed by Jesus? Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.